Well, two days ago, I became one of them. I did. I became one of those millions of people who went to see Star Wars. <laughs> the Force Awakens. It's the first Star Wars episode I've seen in a theater since the original one was released in 1977. So immediately I was taken back to junior high and that two-block walk to the Levon Theater where I paid 50 cents, 50 cents, to see history made and to hear that prayer uttered for the first time, may the force be with you. 38 years that prayer has been uttered. It has shaped our culture. Let me tell you, the box office receipts for the Star Wars series $7.3 billion. Home entertainment sales, $5.7 billion. Add to that the toys and merchandise, the video games, the intellectual property, the books, and so forth. Guess what? $41 billion. That's a lot of influence. Because there's a concept there that resonates with us. The force. People want it to be real. People want it to be true. Whatever it is. Because people are searching for something. Which is why, in my opinion, I think the Christmas season has become so long. Remember when Christmas used to be confined to December? And now it starts in mid-October. And we can blame the retailers for that and their desire to push up their profits. And there's some truth in that, but I think in a, in a large way they're cashing in on this feeling of emptiness that we have, this search for something. Maybe, maybe it's in the Christmas spirit, and if we can just extend that spirit a few more weeks or a few more months, then we'll find what we're looking for. Star Wars doesn't define the force. Our culture doesn't define the Christmas spirit, but people hope in both seeking for something to make their lives better. Famous mathematician Blaise Pascal, he wrote this sometime before his death in 1662. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself." See, the good news for us this morning is that God does not leave us to wonder. God is much more than a vague hope or an undefined force or a nebulous spirit. God himself can fill the abyss, the void in our hearts, because he speaks clearly about who he is so that we might know him and be satisfied in him and live empowered lives because of what he's doing, even now in this moment, as I speak. But that will only happen as you and I listen to 
and live by the message that God speaks to us through his word. And that's what I pray that we will do this morning as we come to the word of God. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn in the New Testament to the letter written to the Hebrews, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew in front of you. And when you've found Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior, superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. What a blessing it is to our lives that you speak to us through your word, that you reveal yourself, who you are, what you are like through your word. Thank you for superintending this word through these thousands of years so that we may know you and love you and live for you. And we pray that that's what we will want to do as we come to your word and to your truth this morning We pray, O Spirit of God, that you would teach us. Take your truth, join it with your spirit, and bring change to our hearts and lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. God presents four images, four images for us here in this passage. And each of these four images calls to us to live transformed lives. And the first image we see is in verse 1. Look there. It says, in the past, God spoke. And so the first image for us is this of a mouth, this speaking God. What an amazing characteristic for God to have, that he's a God who speaks. And this is a characteristic that gives us hope, a hope that changes us because it is a hope that can replace uncertainty with confidence. We can know who God is. God communicates with us. He is not distant from us. He is not an impersonal or nebulous spirit. He has not hidden himself from us. Instead, God seeks to have relationship with us. He makes that relationship possible. You and I know what a mark of a relationship is, and it's communication. Without communication, relationship is not possible. We know as well that the better the communication, the better and deeper the relationship. And so God takes the truth that's contained in his heart. God takes the emotion that's contained in his heart and his mind, 
and he shares those with us. Because he is God, he could have kept that truth to himself. Who is it that has the ability to compel God to do anything? But God, out of his own volition and his desire to be in relationship with us, he chooses to speak to us. He chooses to tell us the truth. But what I want us to really focus on and take note of in verse 1 is the intensity of the desire of God to have those he has created, you and me, not only understand, but to grasp the truth he's speaking to us. Those of you who have experience with relationships, and all of us do, whether they're parent-child relationship, husband-wife, employee-employer, student-teacher, all of us know that how we communicate is just as important as what we communicate. So how did God communicate to us? Well, he didn't say what he had to say just once. And he didn't say it begrudgingly. Hope you got that the first time. Because I'm not saying it again. That's all you're getting. If you missed it, too bad for you. That's not how God communicates. He wants us to hear. He wants us to understand what he has to say. So, look in verse 1. It says that he has spoken not just once, but many times. And so this verse befuddles those who believe in the watchmaker view of God. They give him credit for creating the universe and all that is in it. But then they claim that he just wound it up and left it to unwind on its own while he abandoned it. This verse pictures a God who is active throughout human history. Many times at this time, there is God communicating with his people. At that time, here's God communicating with his people. He has not left us on our own. Verse 1 tells us as well that he has spoken to us in various ways. Because people process information differently. All of us in this room, we have different learning styles. Some of us, this is me, put us in the back of the classroom, lecture to me all day, and I'll take the notes. That's how I'll learn. Other people would rather die than have that happen. They need a group of people around them to discuss and process the idea that's being learned. Other people can't even learn that way. They've got to be hands-on. Show me. Let me touch it. Let me feel it. Then I'll learn what you're having to say to me. Well, God... Because he wants us to learn, all people, all kinds of people. He presents his truth in different ways. Psalm 19.1 that we read this morning says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Even those people who have not been blessed with the gift of literacy. Or those in the world who have not yet had the word of God translated into their own language, their eyes can look at the beauty and the glory of creation. They can feel the warmth of the sun on their skin or in the refreshment of the rain, and they can know that there is a God. And God can use that as a beginning place to work in their lives and reveal deeper and fuller truth to them. God communicated with Joseph 
through dreams. And to the prophet Samuel, God spoke in an audible voice. To Balaam, the prophet, God spoke through the mouth of a donkey. Please imagine. God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And yet he pictured the forgiveness of sins by the sacrifice lamb and the yearly Passover feast. So that when King David writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's calling people to a tactile, physical reality. Taste and see that God is good. God's always communicated with his people in a variety of ways so that they would know him and know how to live in relationship with him. And so know this about God and be transformed by this fact. God seeks to be in a relationship with you. God seeks to be in a relationship with you. The words he speaks right here, the word we read this morning, he speaks to you as much as he speaks to anyone else. God will be to you more than just a force. Seek to be in a relationship with him. Listen to him through his word. That brings us to the the second image before us this morning. It's in verse 2. It says there, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So if the first image is a mouth, a speaking God, the second image is that of a manger. Because in verse 2, Jesus enters the world scene for the first time. And he divides history into two parts. History that happened B.C., before he was born, and history that happened A.D., after his birth. Isn't it interesting? This is an aside. You want an aside? I do think it's funny, you know, happy holidays has replaced Merry Christmas. Now they're trying to change those letters. You know what I'm saying? We want to cut Christ out, so we can't say B.C. before Christ anymore. It's just something interesting about our culture. Anyway, that's the aside. Christ is the great divide. Before Christ, after his birth. He is the watershed event in all of human history. And God's communication through Jesus is different from anything he had ever done before or since. That doesn't mean that Jesus was created by God. He was not. Jesus is God. Jesus, the Son, has always existed from all eternity past. The Son was with the Father. Colossians 1 says all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But to us, it almost seems as if God at some point asked the question, How can I finally and completely communicate my heart, my will, my way, my emotion to my people? And his answer was to come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came to earth as a flesh and blood baby. That's what we're celebrating at this time of year. If the manger doesn't say anything else to you, it should at least tell you this. How much God wants to be with you. He does. 
That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, sometimes we don't like our own company. I don't like my own company. We would rather not be with ourselves, but we can't get away from ourselves. But God, he wants to be with us. So he came to us, born in a manger. He wants us to be with him so that we might know him. Look in verse 3. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So when we look at Jesus, when we look at Jesus, God is no longer some nebulous, undefined force. When we look at Jesus, we see God. We know what God is like. Scripture tells us so. Colossians 1.19 For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Isaiah, uh, Ephesians 1.23 says that Christ fills everything in every way. Christ fills everything in every way. As Jesus said to his disciples on his last night with them during the last meal he shared with them before he died, he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So you and I aren't left on our own to get to God. We're not left to define God on our own. We look at the person of Christ and we know who God is. We look At the people Jesus healed, the sick people he made well, the blind to whom he restored sight, the deaf to whom he gave hearing, the lame that he made to walk, the dead that he raised to life. And we know when we see those things that God, the God who is with us, is a God of great compassion. We know that the God who is with us is a God of great mercy. When we look at Jesus, we know that the God who is with us is a God of great goodness and grace. When we listen to Jesus, and when we hear Jesus' command to us to repent, to turn away from our sins, and to turn in faith to Christ, we know that the God who is with us is a God of great love. Because He is not willing. God is not willing to allow us to languish and to die in our sins. That is not okay with God. The God who is with us, the God who loves us. He loves us too greatly to leave us to ourselves. And so the image of the manger and the message of the manger that God seeks to be with us leads us to the third image, which is the image of the cross. Look again in verse 3. After God, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Where did Christ provide purification for our sins? On the cross, where he hung and bled and died. Sometimes I wonder if people wonder this. Can't we go just one week without talking about sin Sin, sin, sin. Well, no, we can't. It wouldn't be good for us not to talk about sin because you know what? Sin is the great communication blocker. It is the ultimate static between us 
and God. And it's far worse than the static of Verizon or AT&T. It is. It's the, the, the ultimate communication blocker. It is sin that keeps us from coming into relationship with God. Sin kills. Sin destroys. That's all sin can do. And sin, if it's not forgiven, consigns us to eternal separation from the God who seeks to be what? With us. That's why God hates all sin. That's why God acts to do something about it. He gives his only son to die on the cross to pay the price of sin. The cross is the result of God's anger against it. And so the cross speaks two messages to us. Number one, that God hates sin and he hates the devastation that it brings. He hates the separation that it brings. And therefore, his wrath is against that sin. Number two, the cross tells us that that God is gracious and loving and merciful towards sinners. And so he's willing to die for them. So let's not short circuit the gospel. Let's deal with the truth. We are sinners. God is angry at sin. That's the truth. We are sinners. God is angry at sin. It's a great offense to him. But this is the promise Jesus makes for anyone who will confess that they have done the very thing that God hates the most, that they have sinned. For those who will turn away from those sins and turn in faith to him, he promises he will wash away their sin, provide purification for them. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. If he did not want to do it, he would not have died for us. And so if you're here this morning, you've already turned in faith to Christ. Praise the Lord. You know what a wonderful life that is. But you know that you're still a sinner. The good news for us is that he continues to forgive us our sins, not just the ones that we did before we came to him, but those that you're going to do this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day and for the next 10 or 20 or 50 years until your dying day. Look in verse 3. There's a little phrase there. He had made purification. Past tense. What Jesus did on the cross, he did for all time. And that's why on the cross, Jesus said this word, tetelestai. It is finished. The action is complete. That's the message that he's proclaiming to you and me this morning through the cross. Complete forgiveness of sin. Do you hear the message of the cross? Do you bask in the bliss of this glorious thought? Your sins, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to the cross and you bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. They are forgiven, purified, cleansed, washed away, all of them past, present, and future because of the cross of Christ. And with your sins forgiven, the way is wide open for you to be in a relationship with the God who seeks to be with you. Not just for right now, but for all eternity. And so to the image of the mouth that speaks truth to us, the the, the manger and the cross, we're going to add this fourth and final image this morning. 
an image that makes our daily and hourly and minute-by-minute transformation possible, and that is the image of the crown. Look again in the middle of verse 3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The backstory to this verse is that the very real death that Jesus experienced on the cross, it, it was not powerful enough to hold on to him. Death tried to hold on to Jesus, but death is not as powerful as God. God is more powerful, and God in his power, you know what he did. What did he do? He raised Jesus back to life. And in that physical body from which Christ rose from the dead, Jesus returned to heaven. He went back to the home that he left to come to earth to be with us. And when he returned home, he took a seat. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And it's more than a seat. It's really much more like a throne, a regal place where a king belongs. It's a place of great power and glory. And from that place at the right hand of God, Jesus reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so when you think of the crown, when you think of the crown of Jesus, think of power. If you ever begin to doubt that your sins can be forgiven, if you ever begin to doubt that you'll make it to heaven to spend eternity with Christ, remember what God speaks to you and me through the crown of Christ. Jesus is sitting, crowned in glory, because his work of purification is completed. Nothing more needs to be done by Jesus. Nothing more needs to be done by you. He sits with a crown because his work is finished. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's Jesus, crowned, seated, the right hand of God the Father, moment by moment, moment, interceding for, praying for us, applying the completed work of the cross to our sins, making sure that nothing separates you or me, those of us who have turned to him in faith from the love of God, constantly, Jesus appears before his father, the blood he shed, the wounds he received on the cross, in his hands, his feet, his side, pleading, Father, forgive them. Because of that, you and I can be confident in times of doubt and even in the time of death, the purification of your sins is sure and real and sufficient to get you entrance into the kingdom of God Because Jesus wears his crown. God can do amazing things through you and through me if we will fix our eyes on the crown of Christ and its power. 
I were almost done. But Stephen loved the Lord. Stephen was one of the first deacons that served the church. And Stephen was full of faith. He was a man who loved to tell the story of the cross. But not everyone he told wanted to hear the message of the cross, turning from sin, turning to faith in Christ. The religious leaders didn't want to hear that message. And so they brought Stephen before their religious court in order to prevent Stephen from spreading this message. Don't tell anybody else the message of the cross. And so on the day that Stephen stood before them, preaching the cross of Christ, God showed Stephen the crown. Scripture says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. Look, he said to them, I see heaven open and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. Stephen saw that the message of the crown was true. He saw Jesus. There he was, just as he claimed to be, at the right hand of the Father. And it was a place of power, true power. Because when those who were angry at Stephen, when they drug him out to stone him to death, in the moment that the stones were hitting his body, he experienced the power, the power of the crown of Jesus. And as he was dying, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Is that true power transforming his life in the most painful and difficult moment he had ever experienced? Because Jesus was at the right hand of the Father, crowned with glory, Stephen knew his sins were forgiven, the message of the cross. And that his Lord was reigning in heaven where he would join him when his life was over. That's the message of the crown. So Stephen did not need to fear death. The message of the crown has not changed. It continues to speak to you and to me. The message of the crown should transform our lives. It should encourage us. It should comfort us. No matter what it is we're facing in life. Because we know that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God tells us through the crown that our Lord made it. He conquered death for us. He's constantly providing purification for our sins. He is constantly sustaining our lives on earth, giving us His transforming power to be the people that He's called us to be, to live the lives of obedience that He's called us to live. Those who belong to Christ do not have to live lives of defeat and despair. We don't. Not as long as Jesus wears His crown, which is forever. Ours can and should be lives of victory over sin. Lives that are empowered to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake as we do the things that he's called us to do, to give help and healing to those around us. That can happen each day that we live our lives fixed on our crowned, enthroned Christ. So be encouraged today. I'm encouraged. Can you tell? (laughs) I'm encouraged today because God is not an impersonal force. 
He's a God who speaks to us. A God who speaks to you. He's a God who seeks to be with us. A God who seeks to be with you. That's the manger. He's provided a way for that to be possible for us. For you. The cross. He's a God who prays for you and empowers you to live a life of victory. The crown. The mouth. The manger. The cross. The crown. These are God's messages to you and to me. If you want to have hope, if you want the void in your life filled and the longing satisfied, if you want to have a life of power and not defeat, you must listen to and believe in faith the messages that God speaks to you. Let's pray together. Father, again, we cannot thank you enough for being a God who speaks to us, communicates truth to us through your word. Oh, Lord, we're overwhelmed by who you are, speaking to us, longing to be with us in relationship, not just now, but forever, giving us everything we need in this life for for, for life and godliness. Because you, Lord Jesus, sit enthroned at the right hand of God, making your power available to us. Why should we be sad? Why should we be disheartened, even in the midst of difficult and trying circumstances that each of us face in time, from time to time in our life. Still, Lord, in the midst of those things, in the midst of death, in the midst of stones hitting our bodies, there you are, seated at the right hand of God the Father, giving your power to us, giving to us the ultimate victory, which is the victory over sin and death and the promise of eternity. What happy, joyful, grateful people we ought to be. People that constantly seek you, come to you for your power. We don't have to do it alone because we have you. God who is with us. Ah, so many things, Lord. Keep speaking your truth through our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.